Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Did you ask for a three-day pause to get in Yahoo? You know, I've been asking for a pause for a lot more than three days. Um, maybe yes. You see, the reporter thought maybe Joe Biden didn't understand the question because he was making a little joke. But he, of course, he has asked for pause after pause. A pause is a ceasefire. This uh, goes without saying. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything happening at TonyKatz.com. Become a part of what we're doing over there. Would love to have you. Now, the word was that, was that there was going to be a pause. And I was like, there's going to be a what now? With who now? Why? A four-hour-a-day humanitarian pause. That's a ceasefire for those of you playing the home game. There's no such thing as humanitarian pauses. That's just a term made up by the left. You are talking about a ceasefire. That was the rumor. And John Kirby, uh, National Security Council uh, a spokesperson, uh, stated, quote, we've been told by the Israelis that there will be no military operations in these areas over the duration of the pause and that this process is starting today. This is going to be in northern Gaza. It would allow for humanitarian assistance and allow civilians to get out. Uh, Israel was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You had Isaac Herzog, uh, the president of Israel, saying that Hamas has not put forward any viable proposals on hostage release and there will be no ceasefire without the release of hostages. Netanyahu continued, uh, the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's allowing safe passage corridors from the northern strip to its south, as 50,000 Gazans did yesterday. Mm, doesn't look like there's going to be any pauses. This coincides with you know, the, what we uh, just shared there. Um, this was, uh, you know, going back against what John Kirby said about these military pauses. So, First things first, it is possible that everybody was trying to jump out in front of everybody else and got some statements confused, and and we might see something different tomorrow. Number two, I was not a fan of the pause when I first heard about it. I was happy to hear that it might not be the case. I don't think it's the right move. In all of this, this is for Israel to decide. Whether I like it or not is some inconsequential stuff, kitten. Whether I like it or, or or not doesn't matter. So we might see how this is done. Is it going to be tactical, et cetera? We'll see how this plays out. Probably more information on this tomorrow. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. And this is Tony Katz Today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. A Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean. I would be telling BB. Finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. They're terrorists. They're massacring innocent people. They would wipe every Jew off the globe if they could. He cannot live with that threat right by his country. It's nice to see a little bit of moral clarity in America, considering how poor of a job the universities, whether it be the students or the professors or the administrators, have done in providing that when it comes to, for example, Hamas and the terrorist attacks on Israel. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 
Good to be with you. That was Governor Ron DeSantis, candidate for president. The debate last night from Miami, two hours, some very, very worthy questions that were asked. But was this debate so different? Noah Rothman joins me right now from National Review. You find his work over there. And this was your article, Noah. There's the Republican Party I recognize. Now, over the years, we have disagreed about candidates and philosophy, and we've agreed on a fair number uh, of things as well. What was it about DeSantis, Haley, Christie, Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott on the debate stage that made you say, oh, oh, yeah, I remember this party. I totally dig them. Well, first, it was uh, a debate that was departed from the first two debates insofar as the questions seemed to have been written by Republicans. It didn't. The questions didn't were not premised on liberal assumptions or taking a devil's advocate position in order to gauge how these Republican candidates would respond to Democratic premises. It was predicated on Republican ideas, which rendered it, uh, you know, interesting from the perspective of a Republican. First of all, second, because it was very focused on foreign policy, deservedly so, because the world has changed dramatically since the last Republican debate in September 28. Um, it illuminated a variety of consensuses that we don't hear very often in the Trump-dominated wing of this party. A lot of consensus positions that I remember growing up with on the Republican right that have since been kind of muted among them, America is a force for good on the world stage. That its extroverted position, that the advance of its, uh, its um, interests abroad is complemented by force projection and power projection that the geopolitical status quo, the American-led world order, is worth preserving, and that Americans' quality of life is jeopardized by the deteriorating security condition abroad. Only Vivek Ramaswamy dissented from this concurrence, and even that just kind of reinforced the consensus position because he's sort of playing the heel. His, his Iron Sheik Act only reinforced the fact that the vast majority of the Republican uh, Party on that stage didn't agree with him. So uh, I found that to be illuminating insofar as it illustrated the extent to which uh, the profound altering of the Republican disposition when it comes to foreign policy was not in evidence on that stage last night. So let's break that down a a little bit. First, uh, some level of agreement. The questions were better. Uh, Kristen Welker and Lester Holt and Hugh Hewitt did a better job than all the Fox moderators put together. And that pains me considering how much I like Dana Perino on a personal and professional level. It was far better. The questions were much better. There were absolutely no gotchas. Uh, You know, they even had some questions from the Republican Jewish coalition because of what has been going on in Israel and the attack from Hamas. Uh, This was purposeful. As in, how many questions do we think they actually turned away? Because they could have gone the other way with this. So NBC clearly decided that this needed to be something more. Um, did they read the room or did they? Did we just get lucky in your view? Um, I, I think they didn't know. I wouldn't say they read the room. I think NBC News got input from Republicans in order to conduct an illuminating Republican debate. And it seems like a novel premise because we're, we operate under the assumption that NBC News isn't a, um, an actor with Republican Party's best interests in mind. 
But they did the opposite of what Fox did, which kind of makes sense. Fox approached its debates by adopting liberal premises and confronting Republicans who sometimes cloister themselves in siloed information uh, you know, uh, silos and, and don't necessarily address or expose themselves to liberal narratives to test how they would respond to the kind of environment they will encounter as a general election candidate. That makes sense, but it's still kind of annoying from the perspective of a Republican voter. And, that, and NBC did the opposite. They approached this debate from the perspective of how a Republican voter would react and respond to some of their own premises because their viewers don't encounter them on a semi-regular basis. As that's see now that's an interesting take. They went this direction because they wanted their viewer, who is far different from the viewer from the person who might be voting in this primary, to hear the kinds of questions. Talking to Noah Rothman of National Review, NationalReview.com, because I looked at this debate and and took a look at your your headline. There's the Republican Party. I I recognize. Uh, and I said I, that that is that is an insulting statement because when asked questions that provide that that are valuable, you get the opportunity to get valuable answers. This isn't about the Republican Party or these candidates as much as it has been the choice of of people engaging the conversation to begin with. Mm, yeah, I suppose you could make that that claim, and I don't know if I would be overly combative in in testing it it's not well you're not gonna be overly combative Noah. what's the whole point it's not inaccurate you're not wrong i just don't necessarily think the emphasis is a hundred percent correct because one of the narratives that we're regularly confronted with about the onset of the trump era and the profound realignment that donald trump and his movement have uh have executed within the Republican coalition, altering the coalition entirely from the Reaganite years, is that in particular, when it comes to foreign policy, the GOP is a very different party now. It's more introverted. It's uh, less, it's more skeptical of foreign engagements. It is less proactive in the defense of American interests abroad. And none of that was apparent in this debate. It was apparent, I think, and to the extent that we saw any foreign policy discussed in the first two debates, from basically the entire field, with the exception of Nikki Haley and um, Mike Pence. But beyond that, the old Reaganite view, peace through strength, power projection as an extension of American values, was not apparent on the, on the stage like it was last night. So, uh, splitting hairs, but I don't know if I 100% agree. Talking to Noah Rothman of National Review, nationalreview.com. It isn't about uh, getting agreement with you, Noah. It's about sharing the, the perspective as always, and I appreciate that you do that. Um, you, I want to go back to your piece because I want to I talk about something Ron DeSantis said. This is the Republican Party that you recognize. Uh, Ron DeSantis, talking about drugs coming into the United States, stated that he wants to shoot drug cartels stone cold dead. That's the Republican Party you recognize? I mean, that's sort of a proactive approach to a national security threat. Previously, Ron DeSantis had said that he would be uh, amenable to the idea of introducing special forces elements inside Mexico 
to execute these operations. I don't think that's a reasonable approach. I don't think it's the sort of thing that's going to happen. I think it's the sort of thing that you tell voters in order to get around the issue without being very serious about it. Uh, the idea that we would introduce troops into Mexico without, for example, its approval is nonsensical. The idea that we would need approval as a host government to host U.S. forces to conduct these sort of raids with Mexican um, cooperation is a diplomatic operation that would take months to execute. So anybody who knows anything about this sort of stuff, here's that, here's a line like that, and here's boob bait. That, what you heard from Ron DeSantis last night, executing U.S. security missions on U.S. soil against people who are infiltrating the United States to undermine its national security is far more reasonable and far more executable. One of the other statements came from Chris Christie, who I don't think had a good night at all. He he has a, a pattern of speaking that I don't think uh, connects all, all that well. The conversation was about the U.S. Navy, and I was very happy to hear it because we have 291 ships at sea. We need a, a greater Navy. You can change your Air Force. You can change your Army. You need the ships uh, uh, there in the water. And it was a conversation of how many ships do we need to be at? Nobody gave a real number. Nikki Haley did come back to it uh, to say that we've got a debt issue uh, to, to deal with and, and a financing issue, and that's going to cause the problem. Chris Christie talked about the need for nuclear subs, talked about the need for being able – that the nuclear sub was, was the, 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 the great deterrent uh, to, to, to China. There is no doubt that the Republican Party has always been uh, the, co- the party of, of national defense. But is the, is the idea that there would be this kind of open talk, this, the, the, you're saying that the Republican Party of today doesn't actually believe in a national defense because they aren't willing to go, for example, full bore in supporting Ukraine on Russia. Is that the argument? No, that's not the argument. I don't think I've said anything to that effect, actually. Um, so far, I've, I've, we're sort of changing the discussion over to Ukraine so we can get back to it. But articulating a, a, a strategy of rearmament and deterrence against great powers is the GOP's bread and butter, at least when I was growing up, that was. And certainly during the Cold War and immediately, a- or immediately after the 9-11 attacks, when we actually realized that great power competition had not become a thing of the past. Um, but yeah, building up a blue water Navy in particular guided missile nuclear submarines as the tip of the spear is, um, not only unobjectionable, but something to which the Republican party is certainly to have fealty to. And it's not uncontroversial among Democrats necessarily, but the nuts and bolts of rebuilding a, uh, an American, uh, defense industry capable of producing the kind of blue water ships that a lot of these candidates were promising to build is indeed the the obstacle. And even Vivek Ramaswamy had a smart answer on that. There was almost no objection to the necessity of creating a hard power deterrent against Chinese aggression. When it comes to Ukraine, there's only a little bit more disagreement. Vivek Ramaswamy is way out on a limb on that. But Ron DeSantis has been cautious about saying what he would support continuing moving forward with um, supporting Zelensky's effort to repel a Russian invasion of territorial conquest. Um, but even that I found kind of reinsuring because he didn't reach for the rhetorical bombast that he normally does. He said, we have to put an end to this war. Now, if you think about how you would do that, you really have two options. One is to arm Ukraine to the teeth, change the realities on the battlefield, compel the Kremlin to rethink its objectives in the Ukraine, and 
create the conditions for a fruitful ceasefire negotiation. The alternative to that is to simply go around Ukraine, negotiate directly with the Kremlin, throw Ukraine under the bus, throw our European allies under the bus, set a series of conditions and compel Ukraine to accept them, which is an embarrassment to the United States and our our allies abroad that I think is highly unpalatable and frankly unlikely to succeed on its own terms. When you consider those two alternatives, one is not viable and the other is. That's a little bit more reassuring to those of us who do believe that degrading Russia's military capacity to uh, undermine European security and unnerve our allies, thereby forcing us to commit even more assets to the European continent, uh, is an unpalatable option. I read the piece, and and the the takeaway that I came with was that this is this is the good stuff. These kinds of conversations, these kinds of of discussions, and these kinds of of if you will solutions. In the main, because you were clear about your take on on Vivek Ramaswamy, and and I don't disagree with you on on a fair amount of it, uh, this is where we need to be. And of course, you take from that, that is the parallel from where Donald Trump and his acolytes are. Was there anything in this debate that you saw, as you say, I remember these people. Do you think there is something that will then kick in with Americans to say, oh, no, no. The, this group has a better idea. This group is, 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 is more sober. This group, this theory, these philosophies, this is where I need to be putting my time, attention, and vote. Well, with Americans, yeah. I mean, judging by just about every piece of public opinion data that we have from, you know, that tests the, the, the waters among all Americans, adults, much less registered voters or likely voters, The picture that we get is that the Republican Party is favored on national security to a prohibitive degree, much more favored than the current commander in chief. Now, that doesn't extend to any other office besides the president. The president has unilateral authority to execute American national security objectives abroad, um, up to and including military operations, you know, that that can last several weeks or months before they even have to notify Congress. So it's not something that you would think would extend a civic minded American wouldn't understand that or would understand rather that that doesn't extend to the rest of the Republican Party writ large, certainly not Congress and definitely not members at the state level. But it does apply to the president. And we've seen a pretty dramatic shift over the course of the last two years, especially actually since the um, shambolic withdrawal from Afghanistan, that the Republican Party is favored on national security issues now. When you're talking about the Republican primary electorate, that's what I'm a talking different about. Story. Yeah, that's a different story. Uh, and that has I don't think that has very much at all to do with a sober analysis of the candidates positions on this issue or the next. Um, I don't think they're evaluating much of anything in this primary insofar as Donald Trump remains the prohibitive favorite. They're not evaluating him based on his statements, for example, or his campaign. He doesn't have a campaign. They're evaluating him on his record as president and they're judging him essentially as uh, an incumbent, an incumbent part of uh, president, representative, you know, head of the party. So I don't think there's much evaluating going on at all among the Republican electorate. But in the general electorate, yes, there seems to be a pretty uh, a consensus, a, a pretty robust consensus emerging around the notion that the Democratic Party is inferior to the GOP when it comes to national security. 
Noah Rothman, nationalreview.com. Be sure to check out the piece. There's the Republican Party I recognize, nationalreview.com. Noah, always a pleasure. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Multiple ways to see the debate that took place last night out of Miami. And the conversation about winners and losers is an extremely difficult one considering that Trump wasn't on the stage. But what I think is more maddening is that no one brought up Trump on the stage. A brief reference from from, uh, Ron DeSantis. A brief reference from Chris Christie, whose entire campaign is predicated on attacking Trump. And yet it didn't come. The conversations were interesting. The subjects were worthwhile. That NBC put on a good debate is a telling, telling tale. But did anybody think to tell about why they would be a better choice than Trump or Biden? I didn't see it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find it all at TonyKatz.com. Kurt Schlichter joins us uh, right now. Uh, He is a trial lawyer uh, by design. He is also a columnist over at townhall.com and an author in his own right, the Kelly Turnbull series of books available at uh, amazon.com. Overlord being the latest uh, there. Overlord by Kurt Schlichter, S-C-H-L-I-C-H-T-E-R, and a retired United States Army colonel. Uh, there was a lot of military talk, and I want to get into it with you, but you watched yesterday. Uh, you may have drank your way through it. I don't really know. Um, this this debate move you? Well, it didn't change anything, Tony. I, I mean, I look, I've been an open supporter of Ron DeSantis. I thought Ron DeSantis did, a as, as always, a very competent, capable job. He's a good debater. He, he's got the policies down. He understands the questions. He wasn't doing the Vivek thing, which was trying to uh, uh, get a bunch of retweets from uh, a very narrow section of the crowd. Uh, he, he wasn't doing the uh, Nikki Haley naggy kind of thing that uh, I think has held her back in the past. I thought she was better today. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I look at Chris Christie. I thought he seemed uh, logy. I thought he seemed just kind of why is he even there? I mean, look, Chris Christie, without talking about Trump, there, there's no reason for Chris Christie without talking about Trump. And I don't know what Tim, Tim, Tim Scott was. I thought he was trying to be the, uh, 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 the, the preacher from Footloose at some points, you know, his uh, you know, first executive order is to send Kevin Bacon to Gitmo for dancing. I think Tim Scott had his best debate performance uh, ever. Uh, the, the pushback and Lester Holt about the economy. But it is clear that he wanted a wireless mic and to move around the stage almost in, in, in preacher mode. That much I agree with. But when we look at this field, the field of those five who are on the debate stage is uh, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy. That the conversation got into a lot of military conversation, specifically about a U.S. Navy. You're a guy who has attended the War College. You have an understanding of uh, uh, tactics and strategy being two different things. Do people understand the, the needs, the pressing need for an increased Navy? And how would you describe that to them? 
Look, I, I, I'm very glad that uh, Hugh Hewitt, who's, who's a big Navy booster, uh, brought these questions up because that's kind of getting into the nitty gritty. You know, they're, they're big picture. Thing. Abortion is a big picture thing. You know, economy, big picture. This is, okay, here's a specific area that's vitally important. Have you even thought about it? And it's pretty clear Ron DeSantis has. He's an ex-Navy officer. I think uh, uh, Chris Christie made some very good points on it. Uh, but kind of Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, they're kind of, you know, just kind of generic. It's important to have a strong America. And Vivek, you know, Vivek reminds me of the guy who is really super excited about the very last book he read. You know, I, I just got, yeah, I just got an Ayn Rand book. It's changed my life. And next week I'll get a different book and that will change my life. I, I don't think he was very deep in into it, but uh, it, it is very important to talk about what we're going to deal with China. And you can't talk about that seriously unless you talk about the Navy, and you're not talking about the Navy seriously until you talk about uh, uh, ships and submarines. And that's what at least Juan DeSantis and uh, Chris Christie did, and I think that's good, and I think that's important. But the 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 idea that no one could uh, give a number, Nikki Haley did go back to that and say the, the, the conversation here is about money. As uh, someone on my social media feed, Robert pointed out, this is about sailors. How in the world do you create the Navy that you need when you don't have the sailors to put on the dang boats? No one addressed that. And, and I know you do pay attention to the recruiting problems that the U.S. military uh, has. Is, is the idea of building a Navy also a way to better the amount of recruitment because people will see that you're serious about having a military to begin with? Well, uh, Tony, when we have a serious commander-in-chief, we will have a serious military again. And we ha when we have a serious military, we will get the kind of traditional Americans who previously joined the military. Uh, you know, I talk to a lot of fellow veterans and none of us are recommending young people join the military right now, which, which kills us. It's just, it, it, it's very painful, but the, the present military lacks confidence, lacks dedication and has embraced these, uh, you know, left wing tropes about wokeness. And, uh, most of us are just saying, Hey, you know, wait, wait until we get a real commander in chief and then, then join. Uh, but don't do it now. And the recruiting numbers tell the tale that this has has had a huge effect. When we get a president who is once again proud uh, we, uh, and and understands that he has to have a war fighting military instead of a social uh, justice petri dish military, uh, we will get our people back. They will happily do it. And and, and you know. Tony, there was a uh, a lot of of that community. There was a recruiting ad from the army this week. And it was uh, all straight white guys jumping out of aircraft. You know, no, my mother's a lesbian. No, as a Hindu uh, uh, who's differently abled, I'm joining the Coast Guard. None of, none of that stuff. It was we're warfighter guys. And we, we were just laughing because it had to be desperate. They had to be desperate. Talking to Kurt Schlichter from townhall.com. His latest book, Overlord, book number eight in the Kelly Turnbull series of books is available at amazon.com. Four and a half stars. That means some of you are communists. Four and a half stars for Overlord over there at, at Amazon. 
uh, the, the military picture and, and it's the level of discussion certainly uh, has more of a heightened feel when you talk about what already is, is transpiring in Ukraine with Russian aggression and now the uh, attack from Hamas, a terrorist organization, and Israeli response. You and I, I know, are on the same page. There's no such thing as a pause. You do not stop. Hamas has to be destroyed. Uh, I'm, I'm, I didn't misrepresent your position, did I? Oh, no. I, if anything, you're a little too moderate. Well, it's, it's radio, son. It's radio. I try yeah, to be. I, uh, yeah my, my, my philosophy is pretty much Ron DeSantis's, which is hunt them down. Um, the, these savages need to be killed or captured, all of them. Uh, the, you know, this, this, this cowardly pause nonsense, which is, you know, what, what do you do in a ceasefire? You cease firing. What do you do in a pause? Uh, you also cease fire, but you're, you know, you're able to sell it better. Uh, no, this is the time to kill terrorists. In great heaps. Is, you you, you can't. But you my know, question I mean, was, and, and Tony, this is important me. because this is having a terrible effect on our country. There were people at our Holocaust Museum here in Los Angeles there to see uh, the movie of the atrocities, to, to show the truth about what Hamas did. And they were physically attacked by a bunch of Palestinian scumbags today. Jews are being attacked on the streets of California for for assembling and speaking freely, one uh, one Jewish man was was killed by a Palestinian sympathizer here in California, and you got Gavin Newsom running around talking about the crisis that is the weather. Okay, this is 1933 right now here in America, and I'm not freaking having it. Well, there's a there's a reason that that I'm armed, Kurt. But the question was to the idea of where this Republican Party is the Republican Party regarding Ukraine has turned it into a litmus test about whether or not there should be support for keeping Russia at, at bay. Israel does not seem to, as, as of yet, have that kind of litmus test. But there's a question for the level of stomach that America has. Uh, is, is there a moment, as you see it, that in order to end a terrorist organization, certainly Iran's uh, contributions to them, whether it be Hamas or Hezbollah in the north, that the United States, because of having American hostages, has to get involved, whether that be through missiles or through anybody on the ground? Uh, I, I think it could happen. I think it's a bad idea tactically because I think the Israelis have a plan uh, that they are executing very, very well. Hamas is truly on the back foot right now. Uh, and uh, the Israelis are systematically taking him out. Frankly, Americans would only get in the way. Now, something like Hezbollah starts shooting off 100,000 missiles. Well, we've got two carrier groups in the area, and uh, uh, at that point, we may need to step in. Uh, frankly, you know, we're being attacked right now in Syria and Iraq at our places. Americans are being injured. It, it, you know, Americans may be killed. Uh, if, if this keeps up, and we're pussyfooting around with Iran blowing up a few shacks in the desert. If I were president, I think if uh, somebody like Ron DeSantis was president, uh, you would, through your channels, tell Iran, I'm holding you responsible, and then do it. Uh, if an American got killed, I would wipe one of their, uh, or maybe two of their refineries off the map. If another American got killed, I'd sink their entire navy. You don't play with these guys. They understand force, and you need to leverage it against them hard and fast. 
So if you are talking about uh, the Republican Party now showing that military might matters, talking about military growth, uh, the necessity to engage moral clarity, does that does that reach a preponderance of voters? You you can find victory for 2024, get back to the White House with that message in today's America? Well, that's a great question because the Republican Party is undergoing a, a change from a straight-up hawkish party to a more Jacksonian party in which uh, we – look, everybody wants a strong military. The question is when and how you use it. And frankly, the old Republican Party – through its refusal to actually win the wars it gets into and to choose the right wars, uh, has has really lost a lot of credibility. Uh, look, I'm not a pacifist, uh, and and I was in some of those wars, but I also uh, uh, understand that the answer is not always to send in the troops. But conversely, this answer sometimes is. So the idea is, well, we don't want to be in another forever war, is, is is not a statement uh, uh, about a particular situation, but a general policy statement that no one should disagree with. But sometimes you have to be in wars. They killed 30 Americans. They've taken uh, uh, at least a dozen, two dozen Americans hostage. You can't be a real country and allow that to go unpunished or unanswered. If America first means rolling over for every tin pot potentate in the third world, count me the hell out. Let me, before I, I let you go, bring you to something that Vivek Ramaswamy uh, said, who had a couple of zinger great lines, uh, but I, I, he doesn't come across to for for me. He he ain't my guy. It, it just the 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 attitude is is uh, the pompousness. It's not uh, the the focus. But he said this, and I want to get your take, uh, Mr. Ramaswamy. Let me turn to you. Uh, please make your case. Why would you? Uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. It was a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my yield my time to you. So the question before us, Kurt Schlichter, you got a problem with Vivek telling Rona McDaniel she's got to go for her failures, whether it be the Virginia conversation or the Kentucky conversation or the Ohio conversation or really the last victory losses over the last couple of election cycles? Well, look, I, I, I certainly agree with him. If he had got up there and go, I like puppies, well, I'd agree with that, too. I, I think the question was, uh, why are you better than Trump? Uh, you know, to, to, to repeat something, hey, you know what's great? cheeseburgers uh, okay okay vivek all right i'm sure you'll get a lot of rts on it uh yes we we agree on that position that wasn't the question the question was why are you a better choice than donald trump and that's pretty much the most important question for any of you guys and you choose to uh you know try and get try and get a few hoots and howls on twitter i i uh, okay yeah uh no one just likes rona mcdaniel more than me we're, we're agreed on Rona. Now answer the question. Kurt Schlichter is his name. Find his books 
over at Amazon.com. Uh, it's S-C-H-L-I-C-H-T-E-R. The Kelly Turnbull series of books, Overlord, uh, being uh, the latest one there. And find his columns over at townhall.com. Kurt Schlichter, always a pleasure. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. with all the talk about the debate, uh, I was happy to see that the U.S. engaged airstrikes in Syria. I'm not interested in any level of, of, of war. I'm not interested in sending troops. I'm not interested in, in the money. I understand sometimes it's necessity. I'm not afraid to go down that road. I'm just saying I don't want it like you, and I think that's the rational course. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today but we have American troops being attacked by Iran. And no matter how often the president says don't and Kamala Harris says don't and Anthony Blinken, the secretary of state, says don't, uh, Iran keeps doing. So this uh, facility there in Syria that's used by uh, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, IRGC, uh, that's uh, the Iranian uh, military, part of the military, uh, that being destroyed is fine. I wouldn't mind even some more destruction of the people attacking U.S. troops because you have a fair amount of troops that have been uh, attacked and you have to stand up to it. You can't just allow it to happen. So I was happy to see it. And I often wonder, uh, in, in this, uh, as, as we talk about the political left and I talk about their own levels of chaos because of the Jew haters in their ranks, what does this do to them? See, we look at it and we go, that's the right move. It doesn't matter that Biden's the president. That's not what they do. And I haven't gotten a good feel as to where they are with even these kinds of tactics and does it affect the electorate? But considering they're already threatening Joe Biden, you better you better not support Israel or else maybe this doesn't work out so well. I'll be watching for that in the days ahead. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. That's K-A-T-Z. TonyKatz.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.